0: Previously on The Ascent of Board Games. We are here today to do a revisit of one of our earlier topics, paragraph games. This is like golden age of paragraph games. Spire's End. I think you're going to get a point out of this from me.
1: I was just about to say that, Brian. Yeah, you just got a point from me. Well,
2: yeah. Uh- the designers from Awakened Realms have never met a game mechanic they didn't like.
1: The Cosmos adventure games are wonderful, and if we don't get the try, I'm going to hunt somebody Cosmos down.
3: Solomon Kane by Mythic Games.
1: It's oddly compelling
0: and so different from anything I've ever played. And now the thrilling conclusion of Paragraph Games Revisited. First one I want to talk about, and I've mentioned this game before, but we haven't got too far into it yet, is Artisans of Splendent Vale, which is a 2022 release by Nikki Valens from Renegade Game Studios. We have talked at length before about uh, Legacy of Dragonhold, which is one of our favorite choose-your-own-adventure-type games. And this is basically that kind of thing squared. You've basically got four very specific, distinct, custom-made characters who are traveling through this world. And it's very cooperative. There's not a lot of winning and losing. It's mostly about the stories of these people as they're going out and exploring and dealing with problems. But Just the components in this game alone are totally spectacular. Oh, yeah. When I opened the box when the Kickstarter arrived and saw the cover of the rulebook, I almost gasped because just the coloration has got this sort of pearlescent ivory thing going on and just everything fits well. But the stuff you're getting for each character is kind of nuts. You have your own player sort of mat, obviously you have about a 300 page paragraph book for your character you have your own unique crafting method which each work completely differently they're like mini games you do to craft and create items it's just it's so pretty i haven't really oh, gotten plus started yet
1: your own bookmark and your own pencil oh of course yes you do get
0: your individual pencil
1: yeah because you need that yeah yeah oh and a character box for storage sure obviously tokens you have to have
0: some things, that. yeah you have to have that without saying come on brian how could you forget all that i mean look man i've opened the box and looked through it and drooled over it i haven't gotten to play any of it yet it is as i think we may have mentioned before all of the characters are non-binary or queer in some way from what i'm gathering that's not a big feature of the story it's not about fighting oppression or anything like that it's just these are who these characters happen to be there is one character that's blind as well okay Obviously, Nikki Valence is very proactive for towards a lot of uh, less represented folks. And frankly, I love seeing this and I can't wait to play it. It's just a beautiful looking game that looks like it has a lot of really interesting stories and mechanics.
1: And the way the stories are written, they really got the job into the stories. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, go
0: on. Sorry. No, actually, I was going to ask, have you played? Yeah. I mean, how far into this have you gotten? We
1: are maybe a third to halfway. And the structure of the game is pretty clever. Basically, what you do is you also have your own deck of individual event cards. So what you end up doing is you go on an adventure every day. And there's a big calendar on the back of the map. And the map shows the locations you can go to, which are closed. You have to gradually open them through either daily events or doing other quests. And basically, each day, you can decide to stay home and craft. And you know, work on your crafting stuff or go on an adventure. If you go on an adventure, this will be a mix of you know, reading through your books. Each book often has the same narrative text, but then different breakout sections. So, you know, you'll have one person narrating what happens, and then another person chimes in with text, and then another person chimes in with you know what their character says, mm-hmm. and then back and forth back to the narrator, etc. So you're all involved in reading. You've all got a copy of the text. Sometimes that changes to where you've got the only copy of a paragraph. But then you often will go into an investigation part. At this point, you get a map picture. And all of you look at the map picture. And you can start looking at numbers that are marked out on the map to go to those paragraphs. And not everyone sees the same numbers. So there are particular cases, Yeah, you know, my character uh, Soraya is blind. Mm-hmm. So she has very, very different kind of numbers that she turns up and often will then require another person to help locate something in detail that she comes across.
0: And I also get the impression that there are kind of like some of what we saw on like Seventh Continent, there are like hidden numbers that aren't immediately obvious. Absolutely. Yeah. There are hidden numbers that aren't immediately
1: obvious. They're not as elaborate. There are a few minor puzzles, but not really. A lot of it's just searching the room, looking for stuff. And mostly you're going out collecting new ingredients for your crafting. But also there is a, a central narrative plot and a definite you know, focus on this. The world is basically getting rained on by these meteorites that contain magic materia. Crap, I can't remember what the Final Fantasy VII name. You got it. For Materia, it.
2: Materia is correct.
1: Oh, it's still Materia? Okay, got it. Yeah, totally Materia. And it's a very Final Fantasy VII kind of world in a lot of ways. Interesting. But then in the middle of this, there's actually combat. You have a layout very like Mice and Mystics Familiar Daily that other game that we'll talk about called Familiar Tales. Spoiler. And um, you basically play out the combat on that page. The initiative track is pre-written at the top, and there's a simple AI for each monster, and a pretty decent combat system. Some of the action scenes go on a little long. One of the weird things about combat in this game is that each monster type has a dial. So if you have four plants on the board, each plant will have six hit points. When you do the six hit point of damage to any plant, the plant you were attacking dies. Okay. And the points roll over to the next plant. Okay. So you're only tracking, you know, one dial for all the plants. With one of them dying every six hit points. That seems good. It's a little weird, but it, you know, streamlines it nicely. And there's a lot of quality of life kind of streamlining. Mm-hmm. Aside from the fact that you get these gorgeous little painted meeples for all the monsters. So, no miniatures. Yeah. And the dice are gorgeous. It's just, it's a such a pretty game. So, also, there are a lot of stickers. It's pretty sticker heavy. There you go, Mike. I'm in. We've got him now. So, one of the classes is a tailor whose entire crafting mechanism involves pulling stickers off and putting them onto their sheet. I call that Um, one. This character was made for you, Mike. (laughs) Totally. And whenever you put two stickers together that form a full number, you go and pull that card out. And that will probably include more stickers because you're making clothing as a tailor. Those stickers, like if you get an armor, you have to stick it onto your character sheet permanently, and that's the only armor you can wear for that particular build. And when you get an injury, some of those injuries come with stickers to mark any kind of lasting scar or wound effect.
0: So your character portrait
1: will gradually build up over time.
0: Now, the more we talk about this game, the more this is moving up my list of, of things <laughs> to play next. It is amazing. Really good.
1: So at the end of the day, after you do your adventure, though, you each do a basically a private event which can involve bringing another character with you. They're more social. They're more tailored to your characters. Some things will add new cards to your deck or give you things on a to-do list that you can go do instead of one of your various events. And then there's an end of day that kind of wraps up, keeps the story, shows them having normal lives and everything. And so it's a really complete picture of these characters and it really follows the characters. I think it's some of the best writing I've ever seen in a paragraph game. Wow. Very cool.
0: Yeah. It's going on the list somewhere, guys. Oh, yeah. It's an excellent game. All right. And that is Artisans of Splendent Vale. I have another one to talk about that I haven't played, but just looking at the description, it's like something that I don't think any of us knew about, but it seems like it would be right up our alley. And that is Bureau of Investigation, Investigations in Arkham and Elsewhere. This was a 2022 release by Gregory Privat from Space Cowboys. And there's a couple things about this game that make me think it's really something we would like. First of all, it's based on the sort of revised uh, Sherlock Holmes Consulting Detective engine, which is a pretty good sort of investigative, paragraphy exploration kind of thing. It's based in Arkham, so you've got a lot of the Lovecraft entities in there. And it's from Space Cowboys, the folks behind Time Stories, which we've all quite liked. It just looks like a lot of fun. It's basically a 1920s scenario or set of scenarios where you're working for the FBI, investigating paranormal cases, all of which, uh, spoiler, have a large Lovecraftian bent to them. But it just looks... uh, I I don't know how we missed this one, frankly.
4: Well, wait a minute. Wasn't there already a Arkham-based game? There was Arkham Tales. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. In that thread of
0: Sherlock Holmes. Yeah, it was definitely along that same process. This one, I don't know, just seems to be a lot more... Different designer, yeah. interesting. Yeah, so uh, it is a little odd to me that they had two completely different ones in the same setting in the same series. Now, Arkham
1: Tales was a different company. That was local friend of the podcast, Jason and Hal... crap, I can't remember his Eccles. name. Yeah, yeah. Arkham Investigator. That. Yeah, Arkham Investigator was published on his own. Okay. As kind of a web thing, a free, and they cleaned it up, added a bunch of stories, etc. cetera. Okay.
0: Yeah, I, I didn't know about that one either. So I'm I'm bad at doing this. Yeah. So there was Arkham Investigator, which was re-implemented as Mythos Tales. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and then we have the Bureau of Investigation. So I haven't played any of them, so I'm being a bad podcaster and and not able to tell you a lot of details about these. But I think this is something I'm going to wind up getting because it feels like it would be something that would fit well with our group in our infinite amounts of free time. Space Cowboys does good work. Mm -hmm. As long as the translations are good, I think we'll be fine. So here's my problem, is like I've
4: tried to play the Sherlock Holmes Consulting Detective games on several occasions, and I have just bounced off of them like brick walls. Like I don't know what it is about them, but just pulling out all of the things that come with those games, and then I'm just like, uh, this seems like a bit much. I don't know if having the Arkham theme would be enough to get me through that kind of
1: barrier. So, the um, have you done the Space Cowboys versions? Or the yeah, because like, they versions?
2: made some really significant game changes. Because, mm-hmm. like, the first set was, like, just play through a Sherlock Holmes novel, functionally. And then
0: and Sherlock Holmes shows up at the end and tells you you're wrong.
2: Right, <laughs> pretty yeah. much, yeah. like The second one very much gamified it and kind of took the cool stuff that was in the original one, which is, like, props and, like, different locations and really reworked it to be a lot more of a game.
1: Okay. Because one of them... Ha- what they did is really, they made it easier to track movement. So it's one point to move instead of having to track minutes and everything. Right. And I, I remember
4: one of them had like, basically what amounted to a phone book and I'm just like, Ugh, yep. uh, I don't know if I'm yeah. ready for a
0: game that just has a phone book. It's in like, it. here's London, find the people you need to talk to. Yeah. The new ones do have a lot more kind of guidelines, and yeah. it's easier to follow where the trail is. And then in their scoring mechanisms, they allow
1: for a little bit more leeway. In the original, you pretty much had to follow the exact line that Sherlock did to get a success. Or else, yeah, as out... Yeah, Brian I found that to out, be the most annoying part of the original. Yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah, and that concept will be coming up again
0: soon in our discussion. Hmm. <laughs> Well, hopefully, we'll get to take a look at this one and uh, report back on what we think. That is Bureau of Investigations. Woohoo! So, back
1: to kids' games with books and coolness. <laughs> 2022, well, 2022, give us all these games. No, it's, it was a
0: very popular year.
1: That's why this episode yeah, really. is so long. Yeah. So, Familiar Tales, Jerry Hawthorne, Plat at Games. Love it. Love it. It is Mice and Mystics, crossed with a deck builder, crossed with Forgotten Waters, which we have talked about previously. We finish the campaign. You play familiars who are raising a baby. (laughs) The game takes place over three successive ages, basically, with the baby being a baby young child and then a kind of tween girl. And the story is one continuous thread about basically the familiars and their charge with a lot of NPCs, you know, wonderful narrative and everything. It's a lot like Mice and Mystics. You go through a long-term narrative that will occasionally then pop you onto the book to do an action scene with a lot of choices in the movement around. So you have an overland map for each particular age, including various locations. You will pick between often one or the other location or have to go back to a location or something as you move around on the map. But generally it's forward. The branching narrative is practically drawn in front of you. And then you'll do actions using a deck-building system, which your decks do grow over time for the entire campaign. As well, you get items that you can craft using components. You you can spend some of your time during action scenes to pick up stuff. Craft those into items that you then keep, gradually grow, and build, and increase your combat. Wow, that's it. The other thing is that it is app-driven. There are no cards or paragraph for the narrative so you must use the app. In this case, they have basically taken some of the app design and excellence from Forgotten Waters. It's fully voiced with a full audio cast that is amazing, probably even better than Forgotten Waters. And Forgotten Waters was real good. Which is saying a lot. And you know, you recognize some of the voices and some of the voice actors in this particular production. They really went all out. In terms of getting people for this, the narrative is often hilarious, funny, and the characters come through so well. And the app is the driving force to play this game because everything's so good. But you know the type. It's basically Mice and Mystic still. It's that structure of the game and stuff, Fables. I am okay with this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, having it as a deck builder even improves it. And the game is actually a lot better for using the deck building system.
0: All right. Familiar tales. I like the sound of it. Totally. So
1: 2022 also gave us Lands of Galzir by Snowdale Design. Designed by Seppo Kukustravi and Sami Luxo. This is a Finnish company, so yay for Finns. And Snowdale Design did Dale of Merchants, which is an interesting trading game, as well as Dawn of the Peacekeepers. All are set in this land of Galzir, where Basically, you get anthropomorphic animals. Every particular species of animals has an anthropomorphic version, and often they're just happily dragging out obscure animals. (laughs) And it's like, wow, is that a real animal? Yes, yes it is. (laughs) In particular, this one wears its tails of the Arabian Nights absolutely on its sleeve. And structurally, it is what you would get if you took tails of the Arabian Nights ripped through and improved every single game mechanic and then stuck a weird legacy-ish legacy light element on top of it Mm. so again app driven you play for six or seven turns most victory points wins and or you can play co-op in which case you don't care about victory points right basically you move around the map you move on the map to an encounter that's your turn and the way you do encounters, you go into the game book, and it starts a branching narrative. These are a lot more complex and a lot more involved than Tales of Arabian Nights, which is why the short turn count. Mm-hmm. Because each of them will often involve two or three skill checks, and sometimes choices, and produce various outcomes. The outcomes from an encounter will often end up with you getting a second quest, which is based on the first one, to continue the quest, possibly in a future game. Hmm. Because all this goes into your character box. Or change the world. The board has cards and you may, you know, we actually changed out a city by causing a revolution. (laughs) Taking the city card, moving it out, and putting a new city card. Now that's cool. Yeah. So, aside from, you know, if you don't have a quest relating to what you do, you're the adventure counter at the end of a turn. If you're out in the wild, you can just draw a random card, and depending on what terrain you're in, it will tell you what paragraph you go to. With some of those being special events based on particular things, which will remove that event card from the game and have a particular special event, which was probably related to some quest you did in a previous game. Also, there are seasons, and the seasons will change each of those city cards that are scattered over the board will change to a winter version and you flip over the entire board to a winter version which changes how things move what kind of a little bit about terrain and everything but as far as the internal mechanisms skill checks are now dice based so you have the basic 6 d characteristics but with different names and you grab, basically, a rolling five dice to complete a number of successes. And the basic black dice have one each of the characteristics. Yay. So, yeah, one in six mm-hmm. for getting successes. But you often need three or four successes to make a more difficult check. But if you have skills, if you have a skill dice, you grab the appropriate color die that matches your skill. Or you can grab the die of an adjacent skill to something you have. And there are possible of two pips in each of those skills and those have much higher outcomes for that particular skill and for the adjacent skill which i think is one in two or one in three for the adjacent skills and there are a couple doubles for the main skill on those new special dice so again that's a little bit like escape the dark tower in terms of that reaction okay. but even then on top of that there are keywords. Scattered all through your character sheet on the item cards you pick up, and often those keywords can be triggered by the verb for your action choice. So you may say, you know, explore to see if you can find more stuff. And if you have explore tags, you know, you may get an automatic success on explore checks Mm. based on one piece of gear you have. On top of that, there are another type of tags, I can't remember the name of them, which give you basically an automatic Very tales of Arabian Nights success. So, like, if you have good sense of smell, you can, you know, automatically succeed. And those are rare. Or there's some one-use items like being favored by the people. Okay. But there are also some things that happen as you get negative effects. You can be imprisoned. Sure. And your next turn is to meet your jailer. Who is not a hunchback.
0: Oh, well, you know, you can only do so much.
1: (laughs) You meet your jailer and have a different branching narrative. You can be scorned. I swear it's scorned. (laughs) And basically have some of your social checks reduced until it goes away in a few turns. Interesting. You can pick up allies, which will then, you know, add their tags and abilities to you. And that's it. You basically play seven turns put your character, all the quests and everything back in the box. You'll often pull out some world events that'll happen the next game, which will often introduce a global quest that anyone can go to, and uh, keep going. There's no main plot. There's all small plots and plot threads that may go through three different quests. Some of those extra plots will just go back in the back of the deck, and so they'll just come out on some future game based on a choice you made three games before. So it's weird. It's an evolving world game that is a lot like Tales of the Gravy Nights, but much better. Oof. The evolving world
4: part almost sounds more like the premise that I wanted out of the follow-up to the Root series. What Oath. was that game called? Oath. Oath.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Where it sort of doesn't really advance the plot, but the world changes. Yeah,
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, totally. And yeah, it's superb and absolutely amazing. I had decent expectations for it, but it came out so glowingly wonderful. Plus, you can play a frilled lizard. So that's. Uh, oh, yeah. It's just a No, no, no. It's all about the one eyed marbled polecat. Okay.
0: <laughs> nice. Yeah, totally. All right. That was Lands of Galzier. I wanted to bring back up my father's work. We've talked about this one before, so I'm not going to go too deeply into it. This is a 2022 release by T.C. Petty III from Renegade Game Studios. And this is basically a worker placement mini legacy game, almost, because you're playing basically three generations of the same family, all of whom are descended from some sort of mad scientist and trying to produce the masterwork that your ancestor was working on. The game itself, the play is fairly straightforward. It's worker placement. You have yourself and your staff and your spouse, and you can send them to town to get resources or put them in the lab to work on stuff and that sort of thing. But what really makes it is that there are three sort of starting scenarios in the game, and each of them has sort of a branching storyline out from there, depending on decisions that you as a group make. There may be cases where you're deciding to build one particular type of building in town versus another, or are you trying to assist one faction over the other? And depending on who puts the most influence in on either side, the next generation will have a different map to work on with different things on the building and different ways to get resources. It's got a few slightly soft spots in the rules that need a little bit of tweaking and finagling, but it is a beautifully overproduced game. The app that does all the storytelling and narration is very well put together, especially now that there's an undo function in it and it's just it's a lot of fun the branching narratives diverge wildly over the three generations of the game i just think it's a tremendous amount of fun yeah
1: i think there are eight outcomes for each that sounds right cuz it's a it's a binary Cubed, branch yeah and the branching's are, the level of branching is wait what <laughs> when you, when you start that new yeah
4: i mean yeah. you've already gotten me to retry this by saying the app has an undo button because that was honestly (laughs) the the biggest problem problem is like it was so easy to mess up in the app by accidentally pushing the wrong thing and then you're just like fuck well now
0: it's now (laughs) yeah exactly yeah so i'm excited to go back to that yeah just having glanced through the map book there are definitely a couple maps that i'm like i have no idea how we're going to get to that state but i'm fascinated to find out
1: yeah,
2: yeah. Even like when you break out that because the three scenario boxes come in. You know they have a bunch of like tokens for various like states you can get in, and what I remember one being like a coliseum, and I'm like, I don't know how we got here. Get there sounds
1: amazing. What I'm
0: in, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, Frank, did you wind up playing this one? Because I know you were curious about it the last time. Okay, good.
1: And uh, love it.
0: I need to fill up my little glass bottles with some assorted weirdness, but... uh, Oh, yeah. Yeah, the props are great. Yeah, so that's my father's work. It's a good game. You should try it. Mm -hmm. And then we have the one that we've probably talked about more than any other game on this list on the podcast in the past.
2: Yeah, so this is obviously Osworn Into the Deepwood 2022 by Jamie Jolly, released by Shadowborn Games. I'm just going to touch on on lightly here, the paragraph component of it, because we've obviously talked about it quite a bit. So the game is kind of split into two sections, right? There's the boss battle, and then there's the explore around town. For each adventure, I don't know. I don't know what the right way to phrase it, because sometimes you'll repeat town's chapter. Yeah, chapter sounds good. For each chapter, you'll be in a specific location. It might be you're in a specific town, or maybe you're adventuring through the wildlands, and For each of those, you are in essence going through a pretty branchy paragraph game, right? You have to go decide what location you want to go to, and each location will tend to give you uh, an option or two about how you want to interact with what you're encountering there. You obviously have some specific global thing you're trying to achieve, and the more quickly you achieve it, the more rewards you get during the boss fight. There's kind of a time track, and there's a point in the time track that you go past it. You lose the second unique item drop from the boss, and then. There's a point where you'll not learn some stuff about the boss so that you can plan your deck for the fight. But if you do a good job, right, you'll kind of know a little bit about the boss before you get there and you'll be getting extra loot from them. The storyline, well, it's not like super branchy, right? Because like the set piece fights are all the same. Like your branching choices aren't going to have a lot of effect on that, but they do have a lot of effect on like the tokens you arrive into the fight into. And like you can make some choices about like what faction you support there is some branching in the story as it kind of goes on, you kind of checking like, hey, do you have keyword rebel or do you have keyword sucker? Mm. And then the story will change slightly to kind of represent things you've done in the past. The branching isn't huge, but the paragraph game is very solid, very well put together.
1: Yeah, it also affects two key points, whether you get to see the special rules of the boss before you choose your mm-hmm. hand cards. Which can be a huge advantage. And whether you get ambushed or not. Yeah. <laughs> Which is, oh my god.
2: <gasps> getting ambushed is real bad, yeah. as you could <laughs> imagine by the words getting ambushed.
0: <laughs> right. There's no good answers for that. Yeah. But yeah, it's a real good game. We still have to finish it. We're about two-thirds of the way through, I think. Yeah, we're pretty, pretty close. And uh, So my one question here, I'm probably
1: a little less than a third of the way. Uh-huh. And uh, the actual investigations do feel a lot like Sherlock Holmes Consulting Detective and there is definitely not enough time yeah,
4: yeah there have been places there have okay. been a couple where we've kind of scratched our heads at just the i don't want to say like stupidity of some of the puzzles but like there's some that are like the clue is it's in the northwest part of town and
1: yeah like, oh that one northeast it was northeast sure and that was some that was some total bullshit. Yeah, Sandy got upset, and we removed <laughs> that, that decision.
2: <laughs> I totally agree. The paragraph parts of the game are good. Some of the puzzles are what friend of the show Sean likes to call <laughs> underclued. Yeah. Like,
0: they are underclued. Once you figure out what they're doing, it's like, oh, that's what they meant by that. But that oh, was not at all clear. stars. <laughs> yeah. Oh. <love>. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But like,
2: like, really, really underclued.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
2: agreed. Yeah,
0: so we have been known to occasionally give ourselves a couple extra time units, <laughs> because that okay. was some Okay, okay, I don't, I don't. <laughs> no, it's okay. not just you.
2: And I will tell you this right now, the mechanic that our table likes the least is wandering through the... Uh, the Deepwood. deep Deepwood, wood. Deep wood. <laughs> deep because that one is extremely punishing, and there have been a couple of times where we're like, oh, cool, we just didn't make that choice seven turns ago. let's just move on with our lives.
4: Yeah. Yeah. The problem with the Deep Woods is that the time mechanics are just too tight, and so it really discourages exploration.
0: Yeah, if you make one wrong turn, you're screwed.
4: And I think the reason I'm most upset about it is because they had the opportunity to do something really cool there,
0: and they didn't. I know. I mean, the rest of the game is so good that I'm willing to put up with those, but yeah, it they is not I really perfect. should
1: have let that slip a bit,
0: yeah, and
1: being a little more generous on those. That is my only complaint on the game.
2: Yeah, well. I think ultimately, like I think it's very clear that that was like a Kickstarter edition that like didn't quite. Oh get... no, no,
1: that was in the game day one.
2: Ugh. That didn't quite get the testing it needed. Yeah, I, I, that's my personal yeah, opinion agreed. on it. It just didn't quite get the testing it
1: needed. Or Jamie Jolly's, like, an expert at Sherlock Holmes Consulting Detective. Good. and Well, like, just even the, totally, I mean, like, yeah.
2: the paragraph stuff, I mean, like the, some of it is kind of rough. The explore the random map and do stuff, those are arbitrarily punishing in ways that are kind of not fun. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it does a good job of reinforcing the fact that the universe is awful and everything sucks. Mm-hmm. Like, from a storytelling standpoint, it does kind of match. Not in a great way, but you do get to feel depressed and forlorn, <laughs> which that's Yay? For. there you go. I mean, you did it. Yay.
0: I will say that for the second printing Kickstarter, they have been very active at soliciting feedback, not only yeah. in general, but on specific scenarios in like Board Game Geek threads. So I suspect that a lot of stuff will get tweaked along the way in the second. Yeah,
2: yeah I'll get cleaned up. The story is great. The set pieces oh, are really yeah. great. Mm-hmm. Some of the stuff just feels under clued. And frankly, you're right. With a little bit of tweaking, just a little bit more like, hey, let be a little bit more like overt about this thing. I think it would just be fine. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Totally.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Except for Wandering the deep wood.
1: No. Well,
0: yes, exactly.
1: Yeah, true. But yeah, I still think it's one of the greatest
3: games I've ever. Made. It's really oh, yeah. good. It's okay. brilliant. Totally. Yeah. yeah, the fact that we keep playing it,
1: <laughs> even for all the complaints, is yeah. Mm hmm. Yeah, despite all that, it's still real good. Unlike our next game. (laughs) Uh, I know, it's a heartbreaker. Stars of Vicarious, 2022, Brendan McCaskill, Jonathan Twaits. So this is, uh, a lot of people refer to this as Gloomhaven in space, and yeah, it's Gloomhaven in space.
0: That sounds great. That sounds great. (laughs) What could
1: go wrong?
2: Frank's Frank's tone of voice does not make me feel like it's great, guys. That's why I'm worried. Spoilers. (laughs)
1: It's a little too long and repetitive, and needs, it needed baking, I think, a little longer. Mm-hmm. So the branching narrative is in three parts. First of all, you travel around space, and you get events based on keyed cards. You flip up cards representing your sector, and I think there are three or four sectors that you explore over the course of the game, which can consist of you know 13 or 14 cards. Then, whenever in those cases where you beam down to a planet, there can be a layout of up to twenty-five cards, like a five-by-five grid, where you move around the planet, explore, and find stuff. Again, leading to paragraphs, choices, getting new equipment for your ships and everything, and occasionally a little bit of combat, which is all pretty basic skill checked. There's a branching narrative with factions, a lot of keywords that are used to represent, you know which factions you're allied with or what particular things you've discovered or that kind of thing. That actually holds pretty well together. The narrative is fairly well written. There's just, goes on along. Then the mechanisms feel a little samey after 25 hours of play.
0: I'm feeling like this may have the Awakened Realms problem. Agreed. Where there's a little too and much just, game for the amount of story. Yeah. I think the
1: worst problem is that the battle system does take a lot from Gloomhaven. It's actually very different, but there's a lot of advice from Gloomhaven. Each combat is a single battle instead of a multi-room thing. We're taking on a number of ships. And while it's initially hard, difficult, challenging, as you get more used to it and level up, it gets really easy. Mm. Obscenely easy. Like, you know, we finish this battle taking no damage.
4: Mm.
1: Huh. And that is the bulk of the game. Mm. And Gloomhaven, no. Yeah,
4: Gloomhaven <laughs> does not have, have that problem. That
1: problem. <laughs> There's a lot in Stars of Vicarious to like, though. Its system is based on rolling dice and committing actions to doing things. With the option to re-roll dice, but that costs you stress. And so usually you can tweak. Sometimes you don't get the perfect choice, but you also can upgrade your ship with different shooty powers with limited ammo, as well as you know extra movement powers. Again, with limited number of uses, as well as a whole bunch of skills along the side. So whereas you don't have a hand of cards, you have limited uses on these extra powers, and sometimes limited by your dice, because you have to facing is important, and you know, a move action might be move three forward. But you know, if you have this move five and then hook around, hopefully come around behind someone and take a nice shot, mm. then hey, you can. The combat system is really good. Again, it's far simpler than Gloomhaven. It really takes place simultaneously, so you can actually do all of your player actions at once. So it feels fast. You can play combat in 45 minutes to an hour. (laughs) And I think that's really good. It just needed to bake a little longer, and I'm probably not selling my game for hopes that they'll be able to clean up some of the difficulty issues. Yeah, second printing or second edition.
3: Well, so they are doing that thing. They're doing oh, okay. some of that
1: with the second printing. How deep they're going to go into that is questionable. The Spaceship Exploration, they're going to trim back as well. Cool. Because it feels almost superfluous and really hard to track. So is this just another result of under
4: testing due to a Kickstarter campaign? Could be. It's such
1: a tiny group, and it is a massive game. Mm-hmm. It's really well produced. There aren't really errors in it. There's actually narrated app for it. The scope of the thing, given the size of the team, is incredible. The fact that a first-time designer was able to come out with something this polished and this good is stunning. It needed kind of more padding, more development. And Not more padding,
0: it sounds like. But...
1: Yeah, and I actually backed both of their new games.
3: Oh, Stone Saga?
1: Stone Saga and Mythwind, mm-hmm. based on the strength of this design.
2: I'm excited for Mythwind. I really like what it's been presenting. I backed oh, totally, it as yeah. well. One of our friends backed Stone Saga for us to play, so it's also one yep. <laughs> of the games that we will play.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, totally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think there, it's just, wow, just needed a little more cooking. But it's still a fascinating game, and I love the system.
3: I also backed this, and I'll be honest, I was half convinced it would never get delivered because of the scope of what they were trying to do.
1: Mm-hmm. But yeah, they did. It's Everything's there.
3: Yeah, and now knowing that, like, hey, they're still working on, you know, updating it and making it better, I'm probably going to hold off until the 1.5 edition or second edition comes out before cracking it open, because why not? <laughs> i got plenty of other games to occupy myself with.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so it looks like the version 1.5 is coming at the end of Q2 Kickstarter, so... I may take a look at it when it comes back around because it sounds like yeah. it sounds like a kind of game I would really like if it had some of that stuff tightened up.
1: Yeah, totally. And yeah, the combat is again. We played this. We played for twenty twenty five hours. Mm-hmm. It's still a good game. It's just that it gets repetitive. Yeah. And you know, it could actually stand to be shortened.
0: Mm-hmm. Stars of Akarios. Joe, take us home with the best Kingdom Death expansion.
2: Okay, Jason. Jason, I have Uh a question for you. What's that, Joe? I have a bet for you. I bet that if we started right now, we could develop and release (laughs) Edward and Kingdom Death Monster before the sequel to Kingdom Death Monster comes out. I'll take that
3: bet, Joe. (laughs) Excellent.
2: Well...
4: Got some bad news for you guys.
2: And Trespass Odyssey took that bet and was successful in that bet. So Aeon's Trespass Odyssey is functionally Kingdom Death Monster. I call it Kingdom Death Monster White, because...
0: <laughs> In our last episode, <laughs> you all heard us discuss that at length.
2: <laughs> yes, because instead of the giant black box, it's a giant white box. Everything else is the same. <laughs> yeah, The combat's a little different, not a lot. Let's talk about the specific paragraph components that are different. So the thing that really sets, I think, Aeon Trespass Odyssey apart from Kingdom Death is how the story is a lot more in your face and wordful. (laughs) Whether that's good or bad, uh, Mike might have opinions.
4: I do, I do.
2: But the game, honestly, very similar to, like, Osworn. Aeon's Trespass Odyssey is composed of kind of two phases of the game. There's, like, sailing your boat around and, like, having adventures. And separately, there's having giant boss fights. In your giant mechs that are definitely not Ava's. (laughs) Don't at me, bro. Or the absolute terror fields that surround them, because that exists in this game. And the paragraph components, they're, I'm sure Mike will say more of this, they are very much the kind of paragraphs where they just make up words and expect you to kind of infer from context what things are, right? They're not like hyper concerned with like defining terms. That's not the kind of (sighs) story that they're telling you can kind of get 80% of kind of what they're laying down. And it's intentionally kind of mysterious in the same way that Kingdom Death Monster is mysterious. Though it's a little harder to be mysterious when you have paragraphs and paragraphs and paragraphs of text to be an equal level of mysterious to Kingdom Death where the only paragraphs where you'd walk around and random shit would happen to you. But all in all, I have really enjoyed all of the paragraph components of the game. Like adventuring around and like, doing either like, you know, random missions or or personal missions or going deeper inside the ship and like learning stuff about the history of the ship. The various like game components that are kind of unlocked by those features have all been pretty fun and exciting. The story is, while a little confusing, still compelling for me personally. So I've been having a lot of fun with all the additional paragraphy components tacked on top of my Kingdom Death Monster game.
0: Nice. My question is, if you upgrade all the components of the ship, is it still the same ship? <laughs> or is oh, it Theseus's yeah. ship?
4: See, I think, and this might just be personal preference here, so take this with a grain of salt, I think if you've got a universe like this where you're not going to explain exactly what terms mean, that the scope of your story needs to be a lot more focused. And so, like, in this game, part of the problem that I have is there's just so much going on in the world that I'm just like, I find it hard to care. And part of that is, like, we've got this ship that is bigger on the inside than the outside. And so, a lot of it is we're going to go and explore inside the ship and unlock its mysteries, but in addition to that, there's stuff going on in the world. There are three factions that each like have opinions of you and they're each doing a thing and you're employed by one of them to find their king, I think. But like I've completely forgotten that it was our main mission. It kind of has the same problem for me that games like The Elder Scrolls have, where it's like The Elder Scrolls have a world that is so fun to explore that it's like you kind of forget what your main mission is, and so by the end of the game, you've become the head of the College of Magic and, oh yeah, also I saved the world or something.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: (laughs) And I think, I mean, I I agree with you. I mean, this game, in some ways definitely has a certain amount of awakened realms they didn't find a system they didn't like.
4: (laughs) Yes. Level of
2: stuff going on, like 100%. I think the thing that A in Trespass Odyssey has going for it, compared to Tainted Grail and other Awakened Realms games, is like, it doesn't feel like any of the components are disrespectful of your time as a human, but it is for sure that, like, every rule that you could have is in this game. That's kind of just how it's set up, right?
0: I think we've now officially coined Awakened Realms Syndrome.
1: That's, that's true. Oh, yeah. I Out of curiosity, is the narrative too many words?
3: No, it's not Midara levels of nonsense. Oh, okay,
0: We talked about this last episode. There is the Kingdom Death to Midara scale of game verbosity, (laughs) and we said it was just a little past halfway towards the Midara side of the scale. Okay, okay, that's not bad.
2: It's not bad, is my estimation, though I agree with Mike that, like, there's enough words that, like, you could kind of lose the plot sometimes. Honestly, this is the weird thing. It's like, honestly, for Aeon's Trespass Odyssey, it's kind of two games, it's giant boss battles that happen to happen, and then also adventuring. And like, those two aren't like closely tied together from a story standpoint. You could just have the giant boss battles, and separately, you could just have all the exploration stuff they have. And either of those would be perfectly complete games. And uh AM's Trespass Odyssey kind of agrees with you on that, <laughs> to be honest. Because those two things don't interact a lot. Like From the story standpoint, like, those two things don't interact that much.
3: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah, it did happen once, and it caught us by complete surprise. (laughs) It happened once, and it led to a fight where two of our players didn't get to participate because they weren't in mechs. And it was weird. Wow. Hmm. It was very strange. And it's the only time it's happened, and frankly, I'm glad (laughs) it's the only time it's happened because it was weird.
0: Fair enough.
2: So, ultimately, the game is better when it just keeps those two components apart, and we're just doing interesting story stuff, and occasionally fighting giant things. And both parts of the game I find to be compelling and good, but like together they are both equally compelling and good, but not because they're put together, right? If that makes yeah. any
3: sense. And it's definitely a game that like I think they created it and they were playing it on a regular basis, like daily or something, because yep. they definitely expect you to remember stuff. That doesn't necessarily (laughs) remain in our memory after, you know, Mm -hmm. a two-week hiatus due to multiple things.
4: It's not intuitive. Yeah. Yeah. And that's just it, right? Like, when I say I would like a narrower story or a more focused story, like, honestly, I would have been okay if the campaign was, hey, you're going to delve into this really weird ship that you have to discover its mysteries, and also occasionally you're attacked by giants. And then, have a different campaign be like, "Cool, now that you've explored the mysteries of your ship, let's sail around and figure out what's going on in the world, like if they had taken those components and instead of tried to cram them all into one game, made them into two separate campaigns, I think that would have been great, but they didn't, and so now it's just all of it go oh, we've got five cycles of this,.
3: Uh, <laughs> <Yep>. on, on. <laughs>
2: I'm less negative than Mike on this. I think while I agree 100% that the overlap here is almost zero and doesn't even really need to exist, I think both of the two components are compelling enough that even though the way they overlap is kind of weird, and also we have recently had kind of spotty playing of this. We were for a while playing it once a week, and I think when we were playing it once a week, it was perfect. It totally worked. It was easy to kind of remember what was happening. But this is the kind of game where if you miss a scheduled meeting, we miss a week, or you miss two weeks, or you miss three weeks, then kind of getting back into where the story wanted you to go is hard because the game doesn't give you a lot of handles to kind of grasp onto because of how intentionally Dark Soulsian the story is. Right? The, the story is intentionally weird and bizarre and the universe you live in is dark and kind of falling apart and like much like kingdom death, exactly like kingdom death, right? Kingdom death is extremely dark soulsian. Like even so far as like the storytelling is frankly minimalist, right? This actually has a much thicker layer of storytelling, but it still tries really hard to be dark soulsian, which is a little hard. I think they almost thread the needle. I don't think they quite hit it, but they almost thread the needle, but it does make it that like, Hey, when we, miss a couple of sessions because of humans having to do human things it does kind of make it a little hard to start back up at least what i've experienced
0: i've got bad news for you because we have to get back to and finish Oathsworn. sworn we have a bunch of roleplay adventures we haven't done we're way behind
2: <laughs> oh 100 percent.
0: we should play games more y'all no you're right you're right so, that was the list we had of stuff we wanted to talk about. Obviously, even in just a couple of years since our last episode, there's definitely been other stuff that qualifies that we liked. I mean, we love Forgotten Waters. I'm a big fan of Sleeping Gods. People have mixed opinions on Vagrant Song. These are all games that have some of this sort of paragraph style mentality there. There are some upcoming ones that I think look interesting. The one I'm kind of fascinated by is called Purple Haze, and it's basically a cooperative campaign exploration game you know legacy style campaign game except that it starts with you crashing your helicopter in the jungles of the Vietnam War huh so it's a very different setting for that kind of game it's by a designer Bernard govatsky that hasn't to my knowledge done anything before it's coming out from Phalanx games who certainly have had some very pretty games in the past I'm not familiar with any of them but I'm curious to see about that because I was a big fan of the old Ambush game series, which was a World War 2 squad level combat thing and I'm interested to see where this takes that.
3: Yeah, I was I hadn't heard of this one, so when I saw it on the list, I looked it up and first of all, looking at the images, I'm like I have no idea how this game works at all, right. but I I started reading about it and it sure sounds interesting. Like I really hope one of us buys it that's not me so I can play like, <laughs> <laughs> it.
0: Fair enough. And then the sequel to Sleeping Gods is coming out. Uh, it's called Sleeping Gods Distant Skies. I'm definitely buying that. There is Tales of the Arthurian Nights, which is a spin-off, I guess, of Tales of the Arabian Nights. I don't know anything about it. There's almost nothing to find out about it. But just knowing that is enough to mean I'll probably buy it. That's got Eric
1: Goldberg and Zev mm-hmm,
0: producing. Mm-hmm. So
1: yeah, that'll be It's going to be good. <laughs>
2: yep. Yep. Yeah. I'm a sucker for our theory Nights, and I'm a sucker for Eric Goldberg stuff, so... Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Is
2: that
3: going to be the one of the games we all buy? Is that yep. what's going to happen?
4: Yeah, <laughs> it sure is.
1: Right.
0: We're going to need
4: to talk about things. I mean, I've still got a couple of outstanding Kickstarter adventure games that have paragraph components that I'm looking forward to. I think the one that I'm most looking forward to are the ones that are taking place in the world of darkness. Mm-hmm. Just because... At this point, World of Darkness is my guilty pleasure. I've never really had a great experience in that world, but, like, God help me, I love it. And I can't help myself, so.
0: Yeah, Chapters, I think, is the one that I'm really kind of looking forward to. I've
1: actually got a few that are on the shelves that haven't been played. Legends of Sleepy Hollow. Hmm finally got its update that makes it playable oh good <laughs> a lot of fixes to the rule book and to some of the cards for Rada. they're doing a full pack for it but it's a you know kind of a co-op campaigny adventure with those kind of things and paragraphs Sounds good. and castle von Logan is weird <laughs> that one no one's heard of but it consists of basically time travel of this castle in three different time periods Mm -hmm. and you're doing kind of this you're basically a party wandering this castle trying to figure out all the stories involved in the castle Hmm. in all three time periods it has a very jrpg style combat system except that you all pick your actions simultaneously and do it huh Hmm. okay yeah what was that one called castle von logan interesting l-o-g-h-a-n I think they're selling them. They were in the fun again miniature market move. Oh, okay. And they would like you to buy their game. (laughs) But it looks really good, at least the setup, but just haven't gotten to the table to give a full review commentary on it.
2: Yeah. I like time travel always.
0: Mm -hmm. Oh,
1: yeah, totally. Mm -hmm. That sounds interesting.
0: Like we said at the beginning, I think we are looking at a new golden age of paragraph games or branching story driven games. And hopefully there will be more. If we've missed any ones that we should know about or. If there are some that you just think we should talk more about. Or generally, if you just want to give us your opinions. We like opinions. Especially because they give us something to yell at. Because, <laughs> yeah, oh my God, if we miss some, I totally want those. Yeah, yep. <laughs> It's yep. true. You too can get points by making us buy things. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah true. really. True. Play
3: the at-home game.
0: <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, better of all, if you can convince
1: Frank <laughs> <laughs> to buy something that he's never heard of. <laughs> yeah, you get a point. That's how you win. Yeah.
4: Yeah, totally challenge. Absolutely. I mean, Frank is just the end boss of that boss battle. (laughs) Definitely now be producing.
0: Yeah. Step one: find a game that Frank hasn't
4: heard of. (laughs) Well, right, but that's just like that's the side quest, like that you do before you
1: fight him. Yeah. First, you have to find one I don't have. Which there are a few that I haven't bought. One or two, at least.
4: Step one, sneak into his basement to look at his collection and assess. Step two, <laughs> yeah. do some research to well, find Well, step
0: one takes approximately game. three years. <laughs>
4: right. I'm not saying this is a good game, but I'm saying this is how you beat Frank, the final boss of the Ascenta board game, as a podcast board
1: game. Oh, no, no, no. I'm not the final boss because there's a secret boss afterwards. So once you take out me. Well, then you have to deal with Sandy. I was going to say.
2: <laughs> yeah, for sure. She's the real secret boss. <laughs> All
0: right. Well, let us know what you find, what you think, and what you want out of future episodes. We're going to keep doing this until we get tired of it or you stop listening. So if we're continuing to go with this podcast, it's partly your fault. <laughs> Tell your friends wow. about it. You're yes. complicit now. Yes, make them responsible too. Make Share everyone
2: complicit. Everyone. <laughs> also, Frank got a point for uh Arc Night miniatures, which I don't even know if we talked oh, about the yeah. episode.
0: Yeah, we didn't talk about that on the air. I think, but if you need flat acrylic miniatures or spell templates for your D and D or other tabletop role playing games, they're pretty cool.
4: Hashtag not sponsored. Exactly. exactly. Like, we really need
0: sponsors. God, I know. I know. I know. All right, well, I think that's all. So thanks, everybody. Stay safe out there, and we will talk to you again next month. Bye. 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 Have fun. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of The Ascent of Board Games, which is protected by the Creative Commons license. Opening and closing music is Evening Melodrama by Kevin MacLeod via Incompetech.com. Full details can be found at AscentofBoardGames.com. Please share, like, subscribe, review, and comment on this podcast. And thank you for listening. But it seems like it will be right up our ally. 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 The thing that, that you're up. Yes. Yep.